Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you like what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, uh, the host of Spirit Talk. And today, I get to welcome, once again, back to the program for the fourth time now, Barry Kirch, drummer for the platinum-selling rock band Shinedown. And a two-time guest, Harry Turner, uh, wildlife conservationist, former soldier, and a recent Emmy Award winner uh, for his uh, documentary, Wildcat, uh, which is on Amazon Prime, and I suggest everyone to go check it out. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, kinda wanna, I don't know where to start with this one. I mean, I kind of want to talk about when we recently in, what was it, where were we in Seattle? Spokane? Everett? That's right. Wherever, wherever we were. Yeah. Uh, last album cycle run with Shine Down. Uh, I know Harry came out to the show and we got to meet finally. And um, it's one of those things where, like during a show day, you don't really, and I know Barry can attest to this, like you're so locked into like what you do during the day. And even on those days where it's like you just seem like it's just a regular show on like a random Tuesday and somewhere else, anytime a guest comes out or someone you want to really want to spend time with, you really can't because you're so in tune with the flow of the day, the schedule, like you so laser focused on why you're there. But as well as things where I know when the show was over and Harry, you took off uh, without your now wife, uh, but Barry and I were both like, man, what a profound, interesting, cool human you are, Harry. It's like, is this something, I can't, we can't start here. Maybe it's something where when people get to see you in a documentary and then they get to meet you, what is your, is there reaction similar to that where it's kind of like, when you see a documentary, I'm always like, sure, I know what a documentary is. I know what it's supposed to do. I know these are real people in real life situations. But part of me is always kind of like, well, when the camera's off, is this person really this version of this person we're seeing? And whereas we get to meet you, I was like, we were both blown away by that. Well, uh, it's, you know, it's been an interesting one. You know, before the documentary came out, I was just like every single person else. And I still am to this day. Um, you know, it's kind of one of the things like where if you meet like a band member, you know, or if you meet someone who is kind of like done something, which is a lot of people say it's impressive, but I just kind of did it because it was the right thing to do. You do kind of get that kind of, it's kind of like a, a fan uh, feeling. People want to like talk to you and take photos and shake your hand and stuff like that. And, you know, I probably haven't as much haven't had it as much as you know shine down or or you know big bands but it's always been like a i just like to kind of just be like i'm always me you know so it's just if someone's like oh can i take it yeah okay you can take a photo we'll chat about it and i'm probably gonna drop some ridiculously crude comment or something like that because i am who i am you know like that's that's just the way it is um but yeah when we met uh when we went in Spokane, you know, that was, it was great to meet you. It was great to meet, you know, both of you guys and the band. And it was one of them things where I knew that I was going to go there, probably get to shake your hand and say hi. And it was good to chat on the podcast and, you know, hi to everyone there. But it was kind of one of them things where, I, like, I was there and it, like, dude, you put on such a show. Like, it, I, I've seen some, like, I've seen some really cool bands live. 
And when I was younger, my dad, you know, kind of like took me to gigs growing up. And I went and saw Muse in like 2006 or something like that. And they had like these huge kind of balls, balloon things coming down. And there were like people kind of like inside them and like confetti was going everywhere. And I was like blown away by that when I was younger. And then I went to see Shinedown and stood by the side. And I was just like, dude, you guys are just absolutely make a show like it was it was fucking incredible to just be kind of like i've never been stood on the side watching the atmosphere of the people kind of blow up you know and to see that from kind of like a first-hand thing and also knowing what it's like to be on a stage looking out at people talking or you know doing something about like your life or what your passions are i was like man yeah like it's it's two complete opposites of the spectrum, but I saw what it was like to be in a band's shoes and like that performance of like lighting people up because I also feel like that kind of happens with me. Like I feel like I have inspired quite a few younger people to go on to do more conservational stuff just because of the documentary. Sure. Thanks. I mean, I, you know, it's, even though it was in passing, it was nice to be able to meet you in person, you know, and, and, and being, you know, John was originally the one that turned me on to the documentary and then I became a fan of yours and, and knowing some of your backstory and everything else. It was, it was, you know, having the introduction through John. And, you know, I think in anything that we do in life, uh, yourself included, you always take it to that next level because you're driven, you're a driven human being. And for us, you know, the band, we've always been very driven to get to the level that we're at, but we're never... I guess satisfy, satisfy is not the word, but you always want to grow in your career. And our job is to entertain others and make them feel or escape their day. Feel good, escape your day. And this is your moment to just be in this room with us. Um, and it's our job to give you that because we all know, I mean, we've all been going to concerts our whole lives. It's just getting more expensive to go. <laughs> Babysitting and, and uh, tickets and parking and food and you know, beers, what what have you, it gets fucking crazy out there. And so we we realize that as a band and we want to give, you know, we put a lot of that money that comes into the band back into our production to give the people the show they deserve, honestly. And also into mental health as well, which yeah. for me, you know, if anyone has seen the documentary, they'll know that mental health plays a huge role in, in my life and and who it has kind of molded me into today. And I remember, like, I remember there was kind of a bit of a pause during the gig and, it, you know, you guys started talking about how, you know, some of the profits and proceeds were going to be going to mental health. And uh, I look at my phone because my phone vibrates and John messages me and he goes, this one's for you, man. And I was just like, <laughs> dude, like, it really, it was like, damn, that's just like very, it's very, you know, it's a beautiful thing that you guys are doing for raising money and uh for making people feel like they're they're okay to not be okay you know yeah it's you know it's it's different now and i'm sure you felt it growing up and going through what you've done through the military service and having to 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 leave that due to uh mental mental issues and stuff you know i think anybody who admits it to themselves have mental things but i think a lot of people no matter what know somebody who's struggling in some form or fashion. And it used to be, especially my generation, because I'm a generation older than the both of you, you don't talk about that. You bury it as far deep as you can and nobody knows until they should have known. 
Um, and I'm glad that that stigma is going away because we have, you know, Eric in, in our band, bass player. He's made it very public now at this point that he struggles. You know, he's very bipolar, depressive. Um, he goes, you know, some days he wakes up and it's like, I don't know who this guy is. And some days he's, he's better. Um, and, you know, addictions, I think, kind of also lean in that. Brent was a horrible addict for many years. Um, it's, it's up to people that, you know, yes, we all have our struggles, but I'm lucky enough that I don't have some of those. But as having my family members and my best friends go through that, talking about it and having those tools and, and trying to help them the best way you can or just listening used to not be a thing. And it's so nice that it is now. And it's important to us, especially, you know, much like I can compare kind of our industry to the military industry in that you're in a group, you don't talk about it, and there's so much rampant mental health issues whether you're in the art industry or the, the military industry, there's a lot going on that people don't see behind the scenes and they just expect, Hey, bright, shiny face. This is another day. It's not that. When no, I, absolutely. When I, I, and I guess one of the, maybe we can lead into like this whole idea of mental health being a reactionary or a precautionary. Like how do you find the middle? It always seems like athletes and musicians, celebrities, people, anyone will get amped up about mental health. When it's, it's, someone prolific committed suicide like i remember when rob williams or chester or chris cordell these type of people where the people talk about talk about talk about and then a couple months later it kind of subsides it's kind of like that they take the, the foot off the gas in terms of like talking about mental health and it's like one of the cool things was shine down ever since i was been there since late 2017 this isn't a facade it's every day they talk about that and they practice what they preach when it comes to mental health and it's such a, it's such a powerful organization to be a part of and represent, and work with, alongside with everything. And it's just like, I want the world and other organizations and people and society to the point where it's like, don't stop talking about it. Like it's okay to just, even if on the greatest day of your life, oh, I won an Emmy, I'm, I'm Harry Turner, I'm, I'm this is great, all this. Still talk about the bad days. Even talk about the bad days and the good days. And it's like, how do we push people? Is it a systematic thing where teaching kids at a young age to talk about this, sort of like Barry alluded to? I know it's it's kind of one of the things where I believe that we just have to continue to be ourselves. If we do have a bad day, we have to just say we're having a bad day. If we're having a good day, we need to show that we're having a good day, but it might not last. Um I don't I don't have the answer to that really, because I've thought about that a lot. You see you see terrible acts happening across the world. And then, you know, six months later, like everybody's forgotten about them acts or you watch a David Attenborough documentary or Sea Shepherd. And everyone's like pumped about that one thing for like five days. And then slowly they go off and they start kind of just because life is hectic and everybody's life is hectic, whether that be with mental health issues or whether it just be paying bills and just anything, you know. So I don't know, but I believe that, you know, what Shinedown is doing with kind of advocating for it every single show that they put on, um, I feel like that's a great way you have thousands and thousands of people in one area and everyone is like yeah you know it's cool not to be okay and I think slowly with time we will start to kind of understand that um 
but yeah it's it's really complicated we want people to be able to focus and fixate on something but it's not as simple as just focusing on one thing yeah i don't, I don't think there is i think you're correct in that there isn't one answer you know shine down yeah we're lucky enough to have a platform to speak two thousands nightly per show but you know not everybody who's going through something has that and i think we as people and for those listeners out there that maybe don't have a platform or or know somebody struggling the first thing is just to to talk to that person or if you are that person struggling talk no matter how painful it is i don't care if it's the cashier at the gas station hey i need some help i need somebody to talk to and you never know who you're going to meet you know i think a lot of times we just we're all guilty of judging books by their cover but I, you know I, it's fun I, you know i my wife who i am a very antisocial person in a lot of you know in public settings uh, i tend to be a wallflower unless i'm with john and then things get crazy um but you know my wife is one of those that we go to the the grocery store and she's going to talk to every single person that works there including the cashier and all of a sudden you end up with these wonderful life stories and you remember that person and you go back and it's like oh hey how are you and there's a there's a something there and i can't tell you how many times people have gone man i'm having a bad day and they just talk to you and the next thing you know 15 minutes gone by and that person's laughing and we're laughing and it's those little things in life I think that really make a difference for a lot of people when you don't have a large group or a large family, or if you're alone, just take that time to talk to, to randoms, you know? Yeah. You're going to run into the occasional person that tells you to F off, but that's very rare and few and far between. I've also found with sometimes struggling and not really wanting to put myself out there to any old random person or even anyone close to me, if I just write stuff down, like why I'm so angry and why I'm so mad. Mm. Even just reading back over that sometimes I'm like, wow, like it, like you really weren't in a good place, but like, look at you now, you know, because sure. with the good, you remember the highs and you forget the lows a lot of the time. Like you don't forget them as in like, oh, like I, you know, saw someone die and you're always going to remember that, but you don't, remember how you felt in that moment you remember feeling you know angry and sad but you don't remember the exact emotions why your hands were trembling how your heart was feeling like your breathing was out of rhythm writing down them small things like the describing what you're feeling can actually kind of make you realize okay look i am sad and i am like upset but then when you look back at it you go damn, like I was actually having a panic attack or I was like really kind of like just lost, but now I can kind of see a little bit clearer. Mm. I think that if you do not have the family and you do not have the support system um, that, you know, we are lucky enough to have, just writing something down can be as simple as that can actually help people. I've, uh, for me, it's double sword. I like people that know me, I know Barry knows me and stuff like that. The stuff I'm going through with my father and every health issue he's had for the last 10, 15 years. And it's like, I know what someone's bad day is. And it's like, when he's having a bad day, it pales in comparison to someone that misses their flight because their taxi was late. And it's like all these little things that happen in life. I just look at these people and go, man, you have no idea. Here's my father uh, that doesn't complain else. Grateful for the nurses, the doctors, the little things and never yelling, never screaming. Um, and then some days where I, I'm having like a, I don't, 
I don't, I still try to figure out what mental health is for me. Um, but when days where I feel like shit or I feel like super tired when I know I'm not tired or I'm just like pissed off at the dumbest stuff, it's tough for me to openly say, even whether if I write it down or say to myself in my head, man, this is a tough day. This day sucks. I physically can't say it because it's like, I know what my dad's going through. And I know what other people go through. Yeah. The kid at Dana Farber that's dying of cancer, all these other stuff that makes my father's situation look just stupid. And it's like, how do I put that anger and feelings and make it productive where it is okay to have those days? It's just like, it's, I find that if I say I'm having a bad day, I'm taking away from the people that really are struggling that would kill me in my position. It's you kind like, of feel a bit guilty. Right. It's weird. It's a weird, yeah. I think that's part of the stigma, right? So I've actually had this kind of issue recently. So I'm after the film came out and after the Emmy, I was like adamant that this year was the year that I was going to finish my book. So I'm writing my book, my autobiography, and it's not about all of my life because the amount of stories that I've got from the jungle, from growing up in a naval base, like it would be ridiculous. But it's some of the stories of my life which I think have made me into who I am today. And I was thinking back to this time years and years and years ago where I was so depressed and I was so upset and as I was writing I was genuinely getting upset and sad and then I was thinking about the day before that what was I doing that day what was bad that day I have no idea so when I'm writing <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm having a bad day now all I think about is what am I gonna am I gonna remember this day in 10 15 years from now like am I gonna look back and be like oh, you know, like January 10th was, you know, 2024 was just this terrible day because of this, this and this. No, I'm not even going to remember. I'm not going to remember six months from now why I was upset about it. So in them bad days, I just think, hey, take it with a pinch of salt. You're probably not going to remember this in five years, you know, breathe, get on with it. It's okay. And it's writing the book has actually kind of made me look back on my life and realize I've had a lot of shit days, but I can't remember them. Right. <laughs> Barry, is it difficult for you to, I mean, obviously, I know this past year or so, we've had loss of life. I know your drum teacher uh, passed away. When people, when something that happens while on the road, is it kind of tough to you kind of like find your equilibrium again? to perform a show, to meet fans, to do press. When all this other life shit's happening, you still have to do the thing that why you're out on the road in the first place. Like, how do you kind of deal with that stuff? You know, it's it's difficult. I mean, death in any respect is, is difficult on us. You know, it's the great unknown. Um, and, you know, I'll get back to a point that my father made recently that kind of changed my perspective in a lot of ways about some sorts of death. Um, on the road it's a twofold thing because you want to mourn and you, and you do feel bad and sad. You know, I, this past year I lost my, my drum teacher while on the road and he was a great influence on me and, and saved my career. Um, I also lost my uncle. Um, uh, who, you know, we were all very, we have a very close family and it was unexpected. Um, and those things happen. And, you know, you're on the road, we've lost pets and, and I'm not the only one, you know, we, all of us in the band pretty much have had deaths while on the road. Um, and we all deal with it differently. Some of us wear our hearts on our sleeves and us are able to maybe cover it up a little bit more than others. I think I, I covered up better than others most of the time. 
but there becomes a point where you lean on your brothers yourself my bandmates you know um i remember when my uncle passed recently you, uh, you were the first one i told and i said hey i'm not going to tell the band guys because it was a show day and i'm not going to tell them until after the show because i don't want to bring them down and the show still must go on you know the old circus adage the show must go on is true and one rule we've made in the band many many years ago is no matter what's going on in your life uh you don't bring it to the stage you had a fight with your wife don't bring it to the stage we're having a fight we don't bring it to the stage um that's important because that crowd doesn't give two shits and they don't deserve that energy at all they're there to be entertained and it's our job to entertain after the show i tell the guys and i break down and i cry on the shoulders and, and you have a cathartic moment um so yeah it's difficult but we all have our ways of dealing with things i think you know even if you found out at your you know i don't work a nine-to-five job but say i did and you find out your nine-to-five job that somebody passed and you can't get to them or you can't afford to get to their funeral or any of those things you have to learn to deal with it and it's depends on your support group but my going back to what my father said when his brother passed his younger brother this past year i called my dad and I said hey how are you and said, you know what i'm good and i said well how are you good this is the same day that he passed how are you good and he said listen yeah it's sad but he did it he raised two wonderful dollars he's got grandkids he enjoyed life he was okay he left behind a legacy. He said, I'm jealous. And I was like, what do you mean you're jealous, dad? He says, well, he finally knows what's next. And he left it at that. And it was profound to me to yeah. think that here, your younger brother passed. I can't imagine losing my brother. And not only was he already come to terms with it, he was jealous. It's something to think about. And that's a different situation. He had had a great life. You know, when it, when a child dies, it's a whole different thing and a whole different kind of pain and sadness. Uh, but when you get to complete a life cycle of somewhat, maybe it's not as sad as I used to think it was. I kind of actually understand that. It's, that's a, it's a really kind of like in, you know, detailed and in-depth kind of like view on it. We have being kind of, but my friend Dana, she passed away last year and I met her in the jungle. She met Khan. She met Keanu. Like she was basically like my jungle mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had been battling cancer ever since I'd known her. Every time she went to the jungle to visit me was kind of just on a break from chemotherapy. And when she died, I obviously got upset and I, you know, was, was sad, but I was like, she has been surfing this wave for so long. It's about time that she came to shore, you know, and it's about time sure. that she kind of like, just walked with no worries on the sand. And even though she, you know, left behind two kids and she left behind, you know, lots of things to clean up afterwards, she finally wasn't suffering. And she finally yeah. wasn't going through this. Uh, I don't even know what chemotherapy is like. I couldn't even, the closest thing that I've ever had to chemotherapy is when I had a leishmaniasis which is a skinny eating disease. And basically it was 21 days of heavy metal injections. It gave me internal bleeding. It made me feel like absolute shit. Like it was horrible. And that's 21 days. Like she, ever since I'd known her for years and years, she'd been battling and she'd been going through chemo. And so I was kind of just like, thank God that you're not struggling yeah. and suffering anymore, you know? So I kind of understand. I don't, I, dude, if I lost my little brother, he has right. not lived his life <laughs> yet, you know, and he is just like absolutely everything to me. But if I lost my little brother, I wouldn't have that viewpoint yet. 
could I potentially in the future? I don't know. Like that's a very strong headed, that's a very strong headed man, your dad. Yeah, he's a he's the wisest man I know. He's definitely always been my idol my whole life. And uh he's always got the profound words. When you go to somebody for advice, my dad's the guy. And I'm I'm lucky to have him, you know. And you know, they're in their 70s now, so they've all had good lives and, and I've raised great families. And again, I'm very blessed to have a wonderful family life. Um, but, uh, you know, it still hit me hard because here I am crying about my uncle and my dad's the stoic. Nah, we're good. And I'm jealous. <laughs> you know, that's just insane. <laughs> you both kind of alluded to it. I know with Barry more so just because I know you longer when it comes to what we do in our lives, whether it's podcasting, security, playing drums, going out there, the working with Emerald Arch and all the stuff we're doing, when we're having those days that are kind of shit, what's, if we, we like, I love going near the ocean or I love going in the woods. It's like the idea of nature for your friend that would go back to the jungle, even in the midst of all this, the cancer treatments and stuff, the jungle would call her there. To, it's almost like a, a peaceful, to just get away from all the bullshit. It's like, what about like, I always feel bad that people can't have that type of release with nature or a place where it's like you work a nine to five job. It's like some of these people, my friends and stuff that just bitch about, oh, corporate this. I have to work on weekends or I sat at home and watch football all day. Well, maybe you should have gone on a hike in the woods or find that type of thing, whether it's going to a pond or lake or fishing or hike, whatever it is, go look for Bigfoot every couple of weeks just to kind of clear your head. It's like, yeah, go sit in Central Park. Right. That's worse. That's a war zone. Uh, but like, so <laughs> it's like, how do you kind of like, like maybe Harry lead it off? Like, how do you, at what point did you realize that? And obviously, when you watch the documentary Wildcat, you can see what the jungle meant to you. But like, how do you get to the point where it's like, like, there always there has to be a realization of some sort where you need nature to kind of nurture what we're doing right now in our own lives, right? think that everybody could benefit from nature um the the friends that work in corporate and do nine to five and you know during the winter they are up before the sun and they're in getting home when it's dark like there is definitely seasonal depression because of obviously sun and and you know just lack of kind of daytime but it's also lack of being able to kind of escape the 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 illuminating lights that you know glow our houses. Um, I think for me, uh, I grew up in a household where I was always close to nature. I always had a woods close to me or a field close to me. I grew up with dogs as well, so we had to walk the dogs like we couldn't if it was raining you know there was no excuse you go out and you walk the dogs and i always found if i didn't want to walk the dogs i didn't want to do it like you know i was just whether i was in my own head whether i just didn't really want to do anything that day because i was being a surly teenager or you know whatever as soon as i went out with dogs or went out with my family on a walk i'd come back and just feel like the fresh air just kind of like cleansed me right and uh, when I was struggling after Afghanistan, because in Afghanistan, I didn't actually struggle. Like I saw a lot of shit, but the next day was a harder day or the next day was a day where, you know, I had to just do this and I had to be on top of it. Um, but guess what? I was outside all the time, like constantly. 
Then I come back from Afghanistan and even though it was hard, and yes, I had times where when I was there, I was thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing here? I, I genuinely don't remember shedding a tear in Afghanistan. But when I came back and I was in the barracks and I wasn't leaving my room and the only time I was was to like go on a run where you were just surrounded by people shouting at you and stench of like vodka coming out of people's pores was just, you know, intense. Like I felt on them runs and when I was outside, outside I was all right. But when I was in the barracks, I was just absolutely just trapped. And I think being in the barracks is probably what broke me the most. I actually just wrote a chapter in my book about the time that I had my first ever panic attack after Afghanistan. And I was getting ready for, I was getting ready to go out for a week with my battalion. We were just going to be kind of going out locally. So it wasn't going to be too intense. It was pretty miserable weather, you know, start of the year type thing in the UK. And I remember just looking at all of my stuff on the floor, knowing that I had to pack every single thing in waterproof stuff. And I just absolutely broke down. And looking back on it, I was probably in my room for probably two days because I didn't get out. I was packing. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't trying. I didn't escape. And 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 that's kind of a point when I was like, man, you need to get out. I didn't realize until I went to the jungle after my military career that when I was there, because I went there to kill myself. And I every morning I woke up saying, today's the day you're going to you're going to die today. Today's the day. And after 14 days, and, you know, I've talked about this before, and I, and I will continue to talk about it because it is the power of nature. After 14 days, I was like, you're a fucking idiot. This is where you need to be. You need to be outside. You need to be surrounded by nature. Whether you're with people or whether you are not, whether you go on a walk in Washington State or whether you go for a hike in the Peruvian or Ecuadorian Amazon, doesn't matter where you are, if you're outside and you are just being you and taking in your surroundings and breathing fresh air and seeing an animal is a bonus, but, you know, looking for animals, that is when I personally am at my best. And that is when I am in my element. How about you, Barry? Like, I know with you, down Florida, you have the ocean and all that stuff. I know you love to camp and hunt and all that, but it's like, snakes. yeah, when you get yeah. to play with snakes. Uh, but when it comes to like the decompression of coming off a tour, I don't think a lot of people realize the amount of mental, I mean, take out the physical part of running around stage for two hours every night after working out for two hours before the show and all that. But the mental kind of like escape you need, it's like how vital is the Florida ecosystem to like what you do. Cause having spent days off with you and stuff, we're always very, let's either go fly fishing, regular fishing, let's go hiking, take pictures in the woods or whatever it is. It's like, how therapeutic is that for you? Uh, for me, it's everything. And, and, and similar to you, Harry, I grew up in a military family. My father was air force. Um, and it was, you know, nature was always there. We had the dogs, the dogs had to go for a walk. You had to go outside. And and for the most part, I grew up in Panama City, Florida, where we were stationed at uh, Tyndall Air Force Base. Um, so my house overlooked water and woods. 
And the rule in, growing up for us was you get home from school, don't come into the house until it's dark and dinner time. You want water, you drink out of the hose. That was the rule. There was no exceptions. And I loved every minute of it. We'd go to the bay. We'd go fishing. We'd go hiking through the woods. We used to run contests with uh, my neighborhood friends of who could get from one side of the woods to the other with bare feet. Or, you know, we'd make all these stupid rules. Um, and nature was everything. And then, you know, you go off to college. And, and uh, for me, anyway, I went off to college and kind of nature goes away a little bit. You're in the college atmosphere and stuff. And then it calls you. And, and now, you know, I didn't start hunting till later in my years. My brother started hunting with his best friend and I started hunting and I, I do enjoy hunting, but I am not one of those that I don't enjoy trophy hunting. I want to put a little bit of food in my freezer and then I'm good for the year. And for me, when I come home from the road, if I go to the woods, even if it is for hunting um, and say I sit in a tree stand for the day and I don't see one deer, but I get to watch the sunrise I get to watch the sunset. I've had a wonderful day and it's cathartic. Um, or if I take my family camping, who they love to go camping, I can teach my daughter, um, hey, follow me. We're going to follow these deer tracks and that's a deer track. And we're going to try to walk and stalk and see the deer because the last thing she's ever going to do is, is hunt. It's not in her nature. Um, but she loves the outdoors. Teaching those life lessons just brings us back to our primal instincts where we need to be. And on the road, when we get those lucky days that we're in a nice place to go hiking, it's wonderful. But most of the time you see a hotel room, you see backstage, fluorescent lighting, you play the show, you come back to the fluorescent lighting, you get on the bus, do it again the next day. And you don't really see outside. And if you do, it's a parking lot. And for people like us that are lucky enough to have experienced the wonders of nature and seeing something in nature, or look at that beautiful tree or climbing a tree. I don't know the last time anybody's climbed a tree, but it's still a lot of fun. It just hurts more when you fall out the older you get. You've got to do it. It's it's primal. It is who we are as a species, as humans. Um, and I, I really do feel bad for those that maybe never have had the chance to experience. And I challenge anyone out there to find a friend that has and have them take you on an easy hike somewhere. And you, you'll realize, because, you know, if you grew up in the city, you're a city kid, you've never really seen nature and didn't have that experience around you. I understand that you wouldn't know or it could be scary and daunting to look. Going to the Amazon jungle, I'd want somebody like you, Harry, with me because there's parts of that that scare me. There's a lot of things that I want to kill you. You have to have somebody that's experienced, but I'd love to do it, you know? I think that kind of fear as well is ingrained in us from mythical books that we've read and stories that we've heard and sure it's it's always interesting because i've always felt a lot safer being in the jungle than being in a car parking lot waiting for the next gig you know like so much shit can happen to you in society and when you're in the jungle you're in charge of your life if if you're gonna step between uh a puma and its food you're gonna get fucked up right <laughs> because you are putting yourself in a bad situation if you are not look if you're walking barefoot in the jungle with no light at night and you step on a snake oh. that's your fault you know because you put yourself john's like no no, no. but you put yourself <laughs> in that situation right if you're in a car park in the us anything can happen you could get hit by a car you could do you know all of these things and yes there are obviously things in the jungle like tree falls and stuff like that but Ultimately, the safest I've ever felt has been when I've been in the jungle surrounded by absolutely nobody. And I know that 
being sick and you know natural things can happen but there is just something so powerful about nature that for me is one of the reasons why I started Emerald Arch and that is because I know how much it helped me with my mental health I want to take veterans and I want to take people who are struggling, no matter whether it be PTSD from war or whether it be trauma from childhood memory or or anything. If someone is struggling and I can take to the jungle to to even just make them realize, wow, like. I've been here for two weeks and now I, I feel like my life is just energized. That there is is why I started the nonprofit Emerald Arch, because. I want to be able to one, protect forests, two, protect wildlife, three, educate people about conservation and land and mental health. And, and I just want to take people to, so they can see the power of the forest. And uh, one day, man, we'll uh we'll get everyone out there and it'll be you go you guys will kind of be like my dad now there was a clip from the film that didn't make it but my dad is talking about diseases and bot flies and spiders and snakes <laughs> and whether there's a fish that is in the river that can swim up your dick and like all of these different things right and he gets there and he's just petrified the first night every single noise like is just terrifying to him and then on the fifth day we go swimming in the river. Harry, is there anything in here that's going to get me? No, just make sure you kind of push your feet in the sand when you're going in so there's no stingrays. You'll be fine. Like, you'll be fine. I've done this a thousand times. Like, I'm in the boat and my brother gets in the boat. My mum gets in the boat. And I, dri I drive down to this viewpoint. And I say, Dad, like, are you getting in the boat? The guy was just floating in the river, just going down <laughs> this river's murky as hell right and he's just been like paranoid and petrified and all these things he had no care in the world after about five days and it was just so beautiful to see him knowing exactly how I felt because he has been in the military he has struggled a little bit with mental health um not on a daily or weekly basis like me but he has struggled and I was able to show him without vocalizing anything what the power of nature did to help me. That's amazing. That's awesome. And it kind of leads me into my, in terms of when it comes to like Emerald Arch and other programs like that, are we doing enough? And when I say we, I don't mean us specifically. Well, maybe Barry, because he actually, they, they homeschool their daughter and she's able to kind of get everything, stuff like conservation, stuff that, I have noticed isn't really talked about a lot in schools these days. Like I remember in my grade schools when I was back in the early nineties, field trips to nature hikes and like learn how to fish and like do all this cool stuff, like how to start a fire. And now you don't even have recess. You don't even have all this type of programs out there. Now people will say funding and they'll blame COVID now. You can't do all that stuff. But it's like, are we at a point now where it's like, hold on a second, maybe these little things like learning about the environment and appreciate nature is something that should be in a core curriculum of some sort so people can at least appreciate kind of what they're doing. I have two nieces. And so my parents, my parents' house in Massachusetts, a lot of woods, and there's been a ton of sightings of bobcats this year. Like anywhere in the day on the news, 
bobcat families. Like it's to the point where I see more bobcats than squirrels. And we have a ton of squirrels. And so my nieces who are like five, six, whatever, they're home for Christmas. They're building a den and this food thing for them. And like, they're trying to capture them all playful. But the fact that they have an interest in a bobcat. And so now all of us in the family are like, we'll try to take pictures and like research and like, well, why are they doing this? Their hunting patterns, like what they actually eat. What happens if you come across one? It's like, we're having fun learning about a specific animal. It's like, if I'm having fun at 39 years old, 30, whatever I am, uh, <laughs> why don't we push that on our kids to learn to appreciate our local ecosystems and like everything around us? Like, it seems crazy that we're not. Yeah, I think that they try in school systems. Um, it's a balance. One, you, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic is obviously the priorities. Even PE is not there anymore. I think when it comes to PE or, or taking the kids outside, a lot of times it comes down to it's not funding, it's insurance and sue happy people, especially here in the States. Um, you know, you can't take a kid out and teach them how to build a fire because if they go home and light their house on fire, now you're going to get sued. Um, it's, it's that simple and that sucks. But I think they try, and I know at least in my daughter's coursework, I apologize. Supposed to be teaching a class right now? <laughs> no, that was uh, an Amber Alert. I apologize. <laughs> uh, it was an Amber Alert on the phone. Um, you know, teaching in the class, they do teach you about, she's in earth sciences now, she's in seventh grade, so it's earth sciences and you're learning a lot of these things, but the application isn't there. Um, that's that's on parents, you know, parents have to get out there and, and do it and teach the kids uh, some of that stuff or find somebody who can. Um, and it is becoming a lost art because it's so much easier to go buy a, a package of uh, chicken and styrofoam than going out and actually maybe doing the work or going and catching a fish. I can just go buy a fish or go to a restaurant. And a lot of people don't even know how to cook anymore. I think cooking should be taught in school. Natural stuff should be taught in school. And balancing your own budget and finances are things that are missing for a lot of kids. Yeah, it, I, you know, I, I think it's great what you're doing with your daughter. Personally, I went to school, you know, when mm -hmm. I was growing up, but I think in 2004, my mum and dad were like, right, you're taking four weeks off of school. We're going to go into the office and we're going to speak to, you know, the, I think it was the headmistress at the time. Can't remember, but went in and they were like, we're going to take Harry out of school and my sister Cyan out of school for four weeks. And they were like, why? And they were like, because we are going to go to Australia and we are going to show them and teach them different kind of bits and pieces that you in school are never, ever going to teach my kid. And after, you know, some forwards and backwards of debating, my dad was like, we're going to do it no matter what, like, so whatever. They came to a conclusion that when I came back, I had to do a talk to the class about what I had learned in Australia. And dude, I loved it. And I loved kind of like, I, when I was there, it wasn't just like laying on the beach and, you know, just doing, it was genuinely going out there to, I don't know what it is, but I went out there to, to just learn more and be more kind of like cultured and to see different landscapes and learn about different animals and, and different, you know, Aboriginal tribes and all these different things. 
And although some of the days where we were there, we were just having fun and swimming and, you know, we like snorkeled in the Great Barrier Reef and it was absolutely fun. And then when I came back, I'd realized at that point that what my friends were learning in school, I could, you know, pick up pretty damn easily. And what I had done for them previous four weeks was something that they would never, ever be able to understand in a school setting. And for me personally, I, I can't I can't really learn by reading and I can't really learn by sitting in a very confined classroom with a bunch of kids because I become the class clown. I start messing about and I start making people laugh because that's the only thing I really know really what to do well. And so I never was able to learn in a setting like that. Taking me out of that setting and putting me into the outback was one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned. And it wasn't even from school. Yeah, that hands-on training, at least for me and my background, a lot of stuff I found to be awesome was like you are if they put the established the scenario is you're already a failure. Get get out of this, make it better. And so it's like the idea of like the hands-on approach to you're in a dire situation, you're upside down with a helicopter, submerged under water. How are you getting out of here and dragging your buddy out? who could be the president of the United States or these scenarios where all this stuff happens in the woods or, okay, you fall down a ravine, you have to make your own tourniquet or your splint and stuff like that, where it's like, you're already at the worst, build our way out of this. And it's like, I, the training and stuff like that, it's just so, I just love that. Like, I just loved all that. Like, I, and Barry brings up a point. Well, yeah, go ahead. It makes you think, right? It makes yeah. you think when you're in a classroom, you don't have to think. You like you you kind of have to like be like, oh right, okay, I need to do this kind of mathematical equation. But ultimately, you've got calculators these days, and you putting yourself in a situation where you have to use your brain, otherwise it's life or death. If I fail a math test, I don't care. If I lose a friend in a helicopter crash or whatever it is. Right. You need to be on point at that that part. Well, yes. like, and you know this too, especially when it comes to like like range safety, firearms, all stuff. You only you sit in the classroom. Then when it comes out to actually do this stuff in like real practical scenarios, the stuff you learn in class, sure, the ideas are there, but once the real world happens, you're dealing with real people, like you have to learn, like you have to get hands-on and figure this stuff out because you're falling asleep in the class. If someone's talking to me about, oh, characteristics of an armed gunman up in the back of smoking like dude, this is a joke but when you, when you actually get out there and do it clenched fists what's he wearing how's he blading his body like how he's presenting himself it's like that's where i learned the best i mean like barry like you're not you're gonna learn your best to like put you in a throw and go festival stage in paris france you got 20 minutes to line check get on stage and do a 40 minute set in front of sixty thousand people let's get out there and do it if the problem comes up we're going to solve it and do it in real time you're not going to sit in a classroom and talk about for two weeks, hey, guys, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. You're going to do it, right? Correct. And and you you have to be ready for those situations because they happen. That's an actual true story that's happened to us <laughs> in, in uh, quite a few times over the you know the 20 years of playing. And it, it's the same, you know, uh, when you guys went through firearm training, they give you the class, they give you the safety rules, they do all that. And then, you know, for your first time holding a weapon, that's intimidating. That's intimidating. Now you're looking at it going, okay, I really have to load these bullets into a clip or whatever type of gun it is and put them in and I got to aim this thing and you're either a good shot or not naturally. Some people have to learn that. 
and that first shot goes off and it blows your mind at how powerful this thing truly is. Now it clicked. Now you got to go put that on a range and then you got to put it into, you know, like you did here, you have to go and actually train with this thing and safety and safety around your, your, your men and women. That's a whole other thing. You have to be hands-on. I can give somebody a, a lesson plan on how to use a hammer, but until you hammer a nail a few times, you don't know what you're doing. Absolutely. And I think one of the best things about the jungle for me is that hands-on approach. If you, John, when you come out there, handle a snake, I could tell you everything you wanted to know about handling snakes, what is safe, what is not safe, what is venomous, what is not. You would then come to it and I 100% can guarantee as soon as that snake was in your hands, your mindset would change and you'd be like, damn, like this is actually really beautiful. I've seen it a hundred times. I know, and I'm sure Barry understands as well because mm. he lives around them. People in Florida as well don't necessarily love snakes. <laughs> the so, majority don't. <laughs> exactly. But when they get an opportunity to have somebody who has been trained in this area and who has had a lot of experience, and then they realize there is no danger, no threat, no harm, and it's there in their hands, that hands-on approach that you have with that animal will change your viewpoint completely. And uh I think I think all three of us are very hands-on types of people. Um, I know that I definitely am more that way when it comes to learning. Um, but I think that going back to also how we can kind of like make people constantly think about mental health and about different things is doing hands-on approach type activities with these people, taking them to the jungle, taking them on hikes, talking about you know mental health on these hikes and uh and yeah just kind of like being present in it because you could watch a, a documentary on on the television and forget about it you know five days later but once you have experienced an experience which is life-changing or life-altering or even kind of just like made you feel a little bit more happier at that point there is when you're really it will really sink in and it will really become part of who you are today or tomorrow a question I've always 100%. had for you, Harry. I watched, I remember this years ago, I think the documentary called Grizzly, with a guy lived with grizzly bears. And I think the, one of the bears actually killed him. Um, the lot of the complaints people have that one, a lot of people don't understand nature and obviously the, the balance of human versus nature, but at what point does someone go that far where they think they are not only the animal, is it like a God complex? Because you bring a source of empathy and humanity to it where you so you respect these animals enough not to think you could become one of them. Where when you watch this grizzly documentary, I felt for the guy that you have like he gets killed. It's like this guy really thought he I don't know if he respected the animal enough, but there's other people too that adopt these animals, whether it's illegal or not, think they could raise wolves by themselves or the in the woods mm -hmm. or whatever it is. It's like at what point do you have to draw a line respect? For the creature and like what you do as a human like it just seems super like i'm trying to figure it out so with grizzly man i watched that several times because i wanted to understand who that person was at the core and the person that he was at the core was somebody who genuinely cared about grizzly bears genuinely 
didn't find himself fit to live in society. He needed to be in the, you know, in areas of wilderness to really feel happy. Fox cubs jumping on his tents because he was making himself so part of nature that nature accepted him, right? And I know that at a click of a fingers and with wild, wild animals, things can happen. The issue that Grizzly Man had was that he brought his girlfriend out who was not accustomed to living in the Alaskan mountains. And she thought because she had seen this person who she had loved and who she had kind of admired doing these things with these animals, these wild animals, she thought that she could go and do it. What happened there was a lack of respect to anything wild and a lack of judgment on her, on her part. The reason why he died is because he stepped in to try and save her. And when you're in between an, an, an animal and uh, an animal and its food, because at the end of the day, right. that's all she was, mm -hmm. you're going to get mauled and you're going to get killed. I didn't go to the jungle to play with animals or, you know, befriend these wild animals. That never was a thought in my head. I went to the jungle, one, to end my life. When I was there, I then realized, okay, you have been saved by this powerful place. You now need to try and do what you personally can as one individual in this world to try and save and protect this, this place. After two years of being there is when Khan came into my life. I didn't go looking for him. I didn't kill his mom. I didn't, you know, pay poachers to go and get him. It happened, right? I went there and I argued for seven hours with these people about why they have this ocelot, what have they done, how it would be better in my hands with my friends. Because at that moment in time, I didn't realize whether I was going to raise him or whether I was going to give him to a facility which was going to be better for him. Because there was no possible way that he could go back into the wild. He was so young and so sick that if you put him in the wild, he was going to be vulture bait in 10 minutes. Mm. So after talking to these people with machetes and shotguns and and after really, it wasn't an education. It, it was more of like, be sympathetic towards this animal. They ended up handing him over. And that first night of him just sleeping on my chest and feeling my, raising my chest when I breathed and feeling my heartbeat and that connection, it is, that is everything. The connection that you have with the wilderness, whether that be with a wild ocelot or whether that be with, you know, a, a baby squirrel that's fallen out of a tree. If you get that connection, connection and there's nothing forceful that goes into it and you don't bring all of your friends to come and have a look because it's the cool thing and you definitely don't bring your girlfriend to go hang out at grizzly bears, like, there's that initial connection and that uh, vulnerability that you give yourself to the jungle is something that is extremely powerful. When I first did ayahuasca, everybody in, in the group took one drink and I took one drink and was like, I feel like my stomach is bad and I might shit myself, but I don't feel anything like and the shaman said to me, the reason why you aren't feeling anything is because the jungle has already accepted you because you've been here for so long that 
you're basically tolerant to this. You need to have a few more drinks before you can then fully immerse yourself in this hallucinogenic experience. And so as soon as I took that second shot, dude, my everything just blew up. But it's because I had spent so much time there and I'd earned the respect from nature. And when you talk to people in corporate or when you talk to people across the world who have not experienced that, they won't understand what you're talking about. But after you have been in an area for so long and you have become a part of that area and you understand that place, that is when you can really start to push boundaries in regards to what Grizzly Man was doing and what I have done in the past. Right. I know Barry and I have talked about doing like those sweat lodges or uh, doing those fire walks, like all that kind of stuff where it's like the, the shamans and the indigenous peoples, like all this stuff from centuries of, it's, it, I'm just curious because like, the, I've, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy. He was on Joe Rogan. He's been some other podcasts uh, where he talked about like the mushrooms and like the hallucinogens and all this stuff and like how it opens up your. Um, Paul Stamen. Yeah, yes, yes. And so for someone like that to like, there's such a negative connotation to that type of, or drug use in that sense, where it's like your journey with nature, the connection to that, taking something that is coming from the ground, it seems like such a, I don't know, it's like, I so want to do it. I just don't know how I would react to it. And that's fair, you know, if you go into it thinking it's a drug, whether it be ayahuasca, whether it be psilocybin, whether it be, you know, anything which is natural, if you go into it thinking it's a drug, you are kind of setting yourself up for failure because these things, psilocybin and, and ayahuasca, they're a medicine. They ultimately are grown out of the ground from the vines. They are there in a weird kind of way. I don't know how the world works. You know, I'm not a religious person, but if there was a God, you know, he has potentially put them there for a reason, not to make people go to a festival and absolutely get lit. And they're seeing like all these different crazy things going, but so that people can heal from it. I've seen people use ayahuasca where they physically couldn't use their legs. And then they walk out of the jungle because ayahuasca has been able to and working with the shamans and being in that wild setting has been able to just loosen the stress which has been straining them from from walking and mm -hmm. things like cambo which i'm not a hundred percent of a fan on because you have to stress the frog out before you can you use the toxins but cambo is a thing where you can kind of put a frog toxin into your body i actually know somebody who was cured by ovarian cancer because of cambo and it's these natural things and these natural um remedies of the earth which are which are trying to be hidden by pharmaceutical companies basically right if it's it's scary and the first time i ever tripped on mushrooms i was like pretty fucking paranoid and worried but i remember just being like wow this is incredible and I remember when ayahuasca, when I, when I drank that second drink, I remember I went out onto the, the ground to purge. To, I went and threw up and I, I put my knuckles down on the ground to projectile vomit. I remember looking down thinking, 
oh fuck where the hell are my fingers like <laughs> i was just adamant i'd lost my fingers and in the matrix the very beginning the kind of white and you know the the green and white zeros and ones i turned them around and boom it was like the matrix had just kind of like opened up in my hands and so it's scary but once you let it in and once you realize this is not a drug this is a medicine if i let it do its thing and i let it kind of purge me and clear me out it's a spring cleaning you know you've just cleaned out that that terribleness of your head and your mind and you can feel less cloudy and more focused and and just absolutely yeah i'm actually microdosing at the minute with you know 0.2 milligrams per day of hallucinogenic mushrooms and it it doesn't make me trip it doesn't make me see colors but it clears my head slightly and it it makes me focus more and i can't help well i i had a bad day um on new years um but that was honestly just because i wasn't feeling 100% well in myself um i had kind of like a cold or flu and and i know in my body that when i get sick my mental health goes down with my physical health um but apart from that for the past 2 months i've probably only had one or two bad days and it could be because of the mushrooms it could be because i'm in a better place with people around me who love me and friends around me who care about me um but man yeah it's I, I definitely would suggest and you know legalizing mushrooms worldwide would probably make everyone a lot happier. Oh yeah. The uh one of the interesting things that happened recently especially with Barry and the band showdown with the sound of madness coming back to the top 40 again the top mm. number one again in digi or digital and for a song that came out 16 17 years ago it's pretty crazy the power of social media and like obviously if it's good music and stuff will go viral it goes viral because i think there's something organic to that but how interesting is it for you barry to kind of this last week got to go through that whirlwind where it's like all these people going i, I saw one post the other day where a guy was like i think sanjay and i were laughing about it the guy was like man i'm a big fan of slayer and leonard skinner and five Death punch i've never heard of shine down and we look at each other and we're both like <laughs> well you can't have any of those other bands without Shine Down on paper, per se. So you're kind of like, the, especially again with you, Harry, too, the impact of social media as a kind of, whether you've done something yesterday or 20 years ago, good things always tend to rise back up to the top. So kind of explain to me, Barry, like how it's been like in that world where I know it's just texting you guys, especially Brent, going, what the hell's going on? This is wild. And it's like, kind of talk to me about that. You know, it's funny growing up, you know, not having cell phones or even computers and to the, you know, to the age that we are now with all the social media and everything else, it's kind of a trip, you know, and, and I am, as you know, kind of anti-social yes. uh, media in a lot of ways. Um, one, I don't like wasting my time doing it, but what a wonderful tool it truly is when used properly. And I think when these viral moments happen, nine times out of 10, it's positive moments. Yes, everybody wants to, wa wants to watch that car crash a million times over and over again, and that, that goes viral, but it doesn't last. It has no staying power. This was a moment where, for those out there that don't know, um, the song Sound of Madness was being played at a concert, and an uh, uh, older woman named uh, uh, Lori was headbanging 
and singing every single word of the song. And, you know, she's probably in her 60s, 70s. And just it's an experience. She's not even paying attention to the camera that's filming her. She had no idea it was there. And she's just enjoying the show on the front rail at a rock and roll show. And so it got posted. And all of a sudden, people are listening to the song going, oh, I need to know what that song is. Well, that's a positive moment, but it would that's great for us. And that's awesome. But, you know, I remember when that song came out and when that album came out, we were struggling to pay to play to 50 people. Um, so, you know, I look back on that fondly and to see that it impacted somebody so much to where it impacted the rest of social media and people that might not even be rock fans, but look at that and go, man, I hope when I'm that age, I'm having that much fun. And she was by herself. Um, those are the bonuses, I think, of social media. And then that allows you to get the awareness out of maybe a cause that you're part of, whether it be mental health or whatever else, going, look, this woman's having an escape. You don't know what her day has been like. You don't know what she's gone through. Right now, in this moment, she's the happiest she could possibly be. It doesn't matter. Those are the things. Yeah, yeah it doesn't matter. You got to look at those things, you know. Um, I think everybody has bad days. Uh, we all do. As, a, as the collective human race, we have bad days. Um, some more than others, they pass. And like you said earlier, Harry, a lot, I can't remember, you know, I know I've had them, but you don't remember them unless it was a life impacting, of course, you know, you know, that family death, those types of things, life impacting moments, breaking a, an arm or ending up in the hospital. Those moments are really bad days, but your average bad day, fuck it, when it's over, you forget. Um, it's not important. Gotta, it's not important. And you have to, you have to go live. And, you know, for me, a lot of times my mental health becomes the, the worst when I'm home, not because I don't have my family here. It's because I've lost my purpose, which is playing shows. And that after a couple of months becomes a struggle for me because I, I, I stare at the drums and I stare at my room and I go, you've got to play today and you've got to get in there and you've got to play and you've got to keep up with what I do for a living. But my purpose is gone, which is entertaining. And that's where my mental struggle gets weird. Like I miss it. And I, you know, I miss that drug, that opiate of the stage. Um, and then you realize, okay, that's a bad day, but tomorrow I'm taking my daughter out to lunch. We're going to have a blast. My wife and I are finally going to have a date night that we haven't had in 13 years. Awesome. This is going to be great. Um, it's a balance. And like, I think life, you know, I'll leave it at this. Life is that balance because if every day was fucking awesome, It'd be really boring. Yeah. Damn. If uh, absolutely, if people want to say someone like myself and Barry want to get involved with Emerald Arch, Harry, or like, how do we kind of? What's the process? I know you're still working on some stuff, and as the year progresses, more and more will come out about how you get involved. But what are some of the hurdles you're coming across? Like, how do you get someone like myself and Barry and other people that are fans of conservation and what you're trying to do more involved with you? So actually the biggest hurdle currently is the fact that I'm still waiting for my visa to be approved. When Once my visa is approved, I'm allowed to get out of the country. I will be heading straight down to Ecuador to look at land. And then from there is when we're going to be purchasing the first plot of land. What people can do to really help is kind of just, you know, one, share and 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 spread the word that you know we're going to be helping not just land and not just wildlife but we're also going to be helping people who are struggling potentially and mostly you know people struggling with ptsd um but i think that just you know if there's any small donations that can be possibly made on the website that goes a long way 
a lot lot a lot further than you know you would actually realize and uh yeah just kind of talking about it and you know also coming onto podcasts like this is a great help because it gets ears on you know what we're what we're doing and uh i i guess this year is going to be a bit tricky trying to find the land trying to buy the land trying to fundraise trying to do all these things so just sharing talking about it but i can guarantee in the next two to three years we're going to be making a huge impact in conservation we're going to be doing a lot with mental health we're going to be doing a lot with kind of like community outreach and working with the local people i'm not just going to go as a westerner to ecuador buy land and it's just going to be you know us going down there and, and having a blast no we're going to be working with the local communities as well and there's going to be a lot of things going on with spain and nutrient of, of you know dogs and cats down there and trying to make a difference and so coming onto these podcasts talking about it, potential help with fundraising in the future and um yeah just keeping positive about that and, and that's about it i love it yeah when barry and i come down to visit you we're gonna i'm gonna walk in the back just to make sure everyone gets our six like a uh see with crazy you talked about this earlier i would rather get an altercation with a poacher i would i would i would trust myself mm -hmm. To not be nervous or scared to deal with the poacher who's armed, that I would a poisonous uh, snake, a a little spider, a little centipede that crawls into your nose when you sleep, and stuff like that. Where I, it's like <laughs> to get to get to jump. I, if I do it, and I'm gonna do it. I just want to go full in there. Now, obviously, with someone like you there, you can ask questions in real time. But I think for me, I I would just want to jump in there. Like hit me with a snake off the bat. Have me come across a something that's on four legs and a tail it's got shiny green eyes coming at me it's just i think that's the only way for me to conquer my fear of snakes it's the unknown i think yes yeah, yeah, it's, it's weird because i would rather i'm so used to dealing with altercations and how to mitigate altercations mm -hmm. and how to put them to make it stop when it comes right. to humans and humans are the most vile evil awful people and they don't bother me. But when it comes to like my misconceptions of animals and stuff that you watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and you think all oh, bugs are disgusting or you want to eat monkey brains and a cut a snake on a dining room table and have all these little things scurry out. It's, I don't know, it's just such an interesting thing how I'm more geared towards dealing with evil people and enjoy it as opposed to an innocent animal snake that's only probably more afraid of me than I am of it. And it's just, it's so interesting, man. You live such a fascinating life. Well, as yeah. Barry said as well, you know, if every day was the same or every person was the same, it would be boring. So it's uh, it's kind of a cool thing when I take someone out like you who, you know, has this kind of misconception of fear of snakes in particular. And when you see someone like me who can understand and read that kind of body language and hand it over to you and even though you know your heart might be racing and and whatnot after that happens you'll be like damn like i actually did it for one and two it wasn't even that bad and i understood it you know i, I felt calm in that moment because it was so peaceful and so so you know loving you know it's it's a weird i can't you'll have to when you come down, we'll film it and we'll we'll attach this kind of segment to this, <laughs> to this kind of video clip 
and there's going to be you just shaking like a leaf in the wind. But yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting thing. Um, but once Emerald Arch is completely kind of off the ground and we're getting absolutely everything done, um, you know, obviously these things take a lot of time. And, uh, you know, everyone who, who has already donated, very thankful for. Um, but yeah, with that patience and with everything going on, it's we'll get you guys down we'll have a blast and who knows maybe we'll do like a music video down there or something like that <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to get my singer out of a hotel room he <laughs> he is completely anti-nature that if we can get him down here there i would love it now where um, in the jungle specifically is there a wi-fi router <laughs> <laughs> and who's going to do my laundry yeah. <laughs> uh i don't I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do the laundry <laughs> I, uh, Barry, before I know you go, uh, we got a bunch yeah. of shine down shows next year. But your coffee company is expanding. Spartan Brews Coffee is expanding yes. grocery stores all over Massachusetts, and you got these cool collaborations that are going on. So uh, yeah, I mean we're all staying busy, I guess. Yeah, you got to. You know, I, I don't. I again, I don't do well sitting idly at all. I'm very bad at it, um, and I, I get fidgety and I, I get a little ADHD, I guess, and things. Um, yeah, Spartan Brews is doing really well. We're growing. There's a, you know, visit Spartan Brews Coffee online. Um, it's kind of a, a passion project of mine because I paid my way through college by working in coffee shops. That's uh, something I've always enjoyed. But, I, you know, I see a lot of times nowadays, look, I'm not trying to take over Starbucks. And I also don't enjoy, for me personally, when it becomes a science experiment just to get a good cup of coffee. We're somewhere in between, you know, I, I just want good product that people can enjoy the way they want to enjoy it. If you want to do a pour over, great. If you want to grind it up and throw it in a cake up, have fun um, as long as you enjoy the coffee. So that's, and, and, you know, there's there's grounds where we're going to try to branch out. Um, people that don't know, I really enjoy cooking. Um, so we're going to start making some rubs and spices and things of that nature um, through the company as well. So I'm kind of busy on that. And obviously we have to write this next Shinedown record, Eric and I with some of our friends are working on a side project kind of thing that's completely different than what Shinedown is. Um, and then also working on just improving myself behind the kit. You know, you can always keep learning and spending time out in nature. You know, I, I truly find my my peace and my God by being outside, um, whether it's in my backyard, tending plants and trying to find snakes in my backyard or <laughs> being out camping and having a good time. And, and look, John, I understand the fear of snakes. I grew up with a brother who has never had a fear of snakes. He loves them and he'll pick any single thing up. When it comes to the poison snakes, I just leave them alone. I'm not one that's going to want to hold a cottonmouth, and they typically don't want to be hold because they're territorial little shits. But, uh, you know, other snakes, uh, you know, I respect where they're at. I love the fact that I've got black racers in my yard because they're keeping some of the other pests that I don't want here out of here. And they don't mess with me. I don't mess with them. You know, I get to see beautiful red rat snakes every once in a while that end up hunting at night and by my back door and they're just there keeping the the vermin down so it's it's a great great thing and yeah they're creepy and biblically we've been taught to be afraid of them so it's you're not the only one that's afraid of them a lot of people are it's just overcoming that or at least coming to terms with yeah i'll hold one occasionally and having a healthy dose of respect for them yeah no they're all invasive species they have to go. <laughs> you mean us, humans? <laughs> we are the cancer. That's yeah, what it is. We are, we are worse than all those animals. Yes, uh, combined in times 10. But uh, thank you, gentlemen, for the time today. Uh, look forward to Thank you. It's good talking to both of you again. And uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Love you guys. Yeah, thank you Thanks. very much, guys. All up.
Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking care bear. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about nice fucking candles. We are lucky to have nice fucking candles as a sponsor of the podcast. And if you use code SPEARTALK15, you get 15% off your first order. Or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through nice fucking candles. Nice fucking candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time, maybe more, if you... Uh, nurse the flame a little bit, maybe, I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames, uh, or candles, but I will say, these things burn a long fucking time. You ask me about the wick, it's a double wick, for even burning, which is amazing, and, uh, they come with three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're gonna be eating these candles, but if you do like them, this scent, are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again, uh, nice fucking candles, they are the candle company for Spear Talk, if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.